Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. Welcome to Core Class. We are doing the last study in Jesus the Messiah. So today we're looking at the offices of Christ, the section of the membership statement of faith that this goes along with. It's just a short section. It's in section D on God the Son, section 2, the work of Christ, point E. That was a lot. It says, Jesus, under the new covenant, functions as prophet, priest, and king to accomplish our salvation. As a prophet, he reveals God and his ways. As a priest, he meditates and mediates between God and his people. As king, he rules over creation. So we see him as prophet, priest, and king. Those are things that Scripture reveals. So today we're looking at the offices of Christ. And I'll be honest, I've, in lots of different churches I've been to, I just rarely hear this talked about. But Scripture is very clear that Jesus, or that God himself establishes particular offices for his people. Through the Old Testament, you see prophets, you see priests, you even see kings. And all of those things foreshadowed the coming Christ, the coming Messiah, where he would be the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, and the ultimate king. It has become customary to speak of the three offices in connection with the work of Christ, namely prophetic, the priestly, and the kingly. Hence, it was necessary that Christ, as our medi mediator, should be prophet, priest, and king. As a prophet, he represents God with man. As a priest, he represents man in the presence of God. And as a king, he exercises dominion and restores the original dominion of man. So we're going to work through those. Let's first look at Jesus as prophet. Jesus speaks for God to man. That's what prophets did. Jesus was the ultimate prophet, okay? Luke 13, 33, Jesus calls himself a prophet. So we're not making it up. Jesus himself calls him a prophet. Deuteronomy 18, 15, and verse 18, it says the coming Messiah will be a prophet. So those who knew their Old Testament knew an ultimate prophet was coming, one who would also be the Messiah. That's Jesus. John 8, 47, his words are words from God. He talks to the disciples. He says, I tell you what I hear my father say. I do what I see my father do. He spoke for God to man. Jesus was a master teacher, and he used many methods of teaching and of communication while he was here on earth. Again, he was the master teacher. So I enjoy teaching, and I want to always become a better teacher. One of the best ways to become a better teacher is to watch how Jesus taught. So in our book, I'm going to look at a couple different examples of what Jesus would tend to do because they're beautiful, they're amazing, and they're brilliant. Jesus was the creator of language, and he is the master of it. Jesus' words are an unending well of beauty and mastery over language, communication, and articulation of heavenly truths given to sinful man. With grace and truth, Jesus addresses followers, his haters, seekers, and those who are both sick and broken. Some of the things that he would use in his communication methods were, for example, overstatement. Overstatement, this means, this is one means by which Jesus sought to capture the attention of his listeners. Uh, this was by overstating a truth in such a way that this exaggeration brought home the point he was trying to make. So this idea of overstatement is characteristic of speech back in that day, like this was a normal thing. So we have to recognize that he does this sometimes. 
um, in Matthew 5, 29 and 30. It talks about this concept that if you, if you look lustfully and you can't control your eyes, maybe you should pluck one out. If you, if you steal and you can't seem to stop yourself, perhaps you should cut your hand off. In that day, people didn't just start pulling out spoons and plucking out eyeballs. They didn't just start taking their knives and cutting their hands off. They all knew that he was using exaggerated speech when he gave it. But that exaggerated speech would cause them to hear things that they just wouldn't forget. He also used hyperbolic speech, which is grossly exaggerated forms of speech. Um, and he would say things in such a way that it was unforgettable. This is similar to overstatement, but even more extreme in nature. In Matthew 22, 23 through 24, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and say, he says, You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Was Jesus being literal? Did they swallow a camel? Of course not. But if we try to put liter like our literal way of viewing things on everything Jesus says, then we're missing the point of the way he spoke. He would oftentimes speak with exaggeration on purpose. Again, there's the example of the speck and the log, where he says, why do you see a speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? Was there an actual speck? Was there an actual log? No one in that time was walking around with a log sticking out of their eye. Again, he was using hyperbolic speech to make a point. He created a, a picture in their mind that they would never forget. He would also use puns, play on words. Matthew 4.19, where he tells them they're going to become fishers of men. It's a pun. It's a play on words. He would use similes or comparisons. He would use metaphor. Phrases like, the eye is a lamp to the body, or you are the salt of the earth or you are the light of the world, or you snakes, you brood of vipers. Those are metaphors that he would use all the time. Jesus also used proverbs, which is something that people in that day would have been used to. Proverbs are almost like small, pithy sayings that would communicate a simple truth. Proverbs are not promises. If you go through the book of Proverbs, it would say, when you do this, this will likely happen. Those aren't promises. Those are likelihoods based upon wisdom, but not promises. Jesus used these. The Beatitudes were proverb-like in nature. Matthew 6, 21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart physically doesn't go to where your treasure are, but your longings, your passions. This is a proverb. Matthew 6, 34, So do not worry about today, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Another proverb. Jesus also used riddle. Riddles, which is interesting. Um, riddles involve a match of wits in which the individual is challenged to discover the concealed meaning of a saying. It was a typical form of wisdom sayings back in the day. Matthew eleven twelve says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. So when they heard that, it would have caused them to scratch their heads and take time to discuss and figure out what he was trying to say. Riddles make you slow down and try to figure out what the content and what the main point of the riddle is. In Mark 14, 58, this is one you probably remember. He says, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. As you read farther, you know that Jesus is talking about his body, but he's standing outside of or close to the temple. So they're thinking he's talking about the temple, but it's, it's a riddle. It's a riddle. 
So it took them a while to figure it out. Jesus would also use paradox, a fortiori, irony, questions, figurative actions, poetry, and parallelism. He used all of those to make what he said unforgettable. He also used parable. In fact, 35% of his teaching in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are in parabolic form. Like, he loved parable. Parables are basically like a story with a punchline. And the main point is found in the punchline. Sometimes people will get into parables, like the Good Samaritan, um, where they're like trying to figure out what does each part of the parable mean? It doesn't work that way. Think of a parable like a joke with a punchline. Um, a tall guy, a short guy, and a round guy walked into a bar. The appropriate question is not, well, what were they wearing? That doesn't matter. You have to sit and listen to the whole joke and figure out what the punchline is. There's a punchline coming. It's not the details, it's the punchline. So, when it comes to a parable, that's how we're called to think. That's what we're called to remember. So, for example, uh, with the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan is not the person you expected to help the beggar on the road. In fact, you expected the Samaritan to be the one to ignore the person in pain. You expected someone else to stop and help him. So the fact that a Samaritan stopped and helped him, it was profound. It was the punchline to the whole story. Why would this person do it? And Jesus says, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. A Samaritan sometimes does it better than you do, which would have been a mind-blowing story to hear with a punchline that would have been unforgettable. So Jesus was a prophet. He spoke from God to man in beautiful, amazing ways that still cause us to remember the words of Jesus even in our darkest times. Not only did he speak from God to man, as a priest, he speaks for man to God. If you remember the priests in the Old Testament, they would go before God on behalf of the people, offer sacrifices, offer prayers. In Leviticus 16, the priest offered sacrifices to offer for forgiveness for the people's sins. In 1 Samuel 2.35, it says, I will raise up a priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. God raises up the priests. Jesus talks about himself in Mark 10.45, and he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here's the unique part of Jesus as our priest. Not only does he represent man to God, he actually mediates for us and dies in our place. In the Old Testament, the priest would sacrifice a lamb. In Jesus' case, Jesus is the priest, and he sacrifices himself as the lamb. He does both. He mediates for us, and he represents us before the Father. John 1.29, he's described as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, and we've got a bunch of other passages here that talk about Jesus being the high priest, uh, functioning as a priest. In Hebrews 5, 7, it says that he lived a life of prayer. Um, John 17, 20, this whole chapter is Jesus praying for the disciples and for the church, including you and me. Jesus in the Bible prays for you and he prays for me. He prays for all who would believe. That's you, that's me. In Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, it talks about what kind of high priest he would be. The once-for-all high priest, one who is sinless, who can offer a one-time sacrifice, who offered himself once and for all. That's Jesus, the priest. 
Hebrews 8.1 says that Jesus sits the right hand of God as our priest. And Hebrews 2.18 says he can relate to our weakness. So he's a priest who understands what we're going through. He's sympathetic. He's empathetic. He's a priest who understands. So as he represents us to God the Father and he prays on our behalf, he does it knowing what it feels like to be us. He's walked in our shoes. So he's a prophet and he's a priest. And finally, he's the king. He rules and he reigns. In Genesis 49.10, it says a king will come in the line of Judah. So even from the Old Testament, we're told a prophet is coming. There's a priest who is coming. There's a king who is coming who will save us. So these three offices, even from the Old Testament, are all placed upon the coming Messiah, Jesus the King. 2 Samuel 7.16 and Matthew 1.1 both talk about the fact that his throne is established forever in the line of David. There's a king who's coming who will be established forever in the line of David. Matthew 1.1, who does Jesus descend from? The line of David. Psalm 2.6 says that Jesus will be installed as a king. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, it says there will be no end to his kingdom. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David. So Jesus will live and reign forever. Micah 5.2, again, this is Old Testament. This is before Jesus even shows up on the scene. It says, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So even right there in Micah 5.2, we see there's one who's coming who's eternal, one who's coming who will be from Bethlehem, one who's coming who will be the king the ultimate ruler over Israel. Matthew 2.2, 2, he's called the king of the Jews. Matthew 18.37, he's asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you, you say correctly that I am a king. Okay? And think about that. So Jesus, Jesus, as he's coming to the end of his life, okay, John 18, but then farther into John, there's this weird reality where he's recognizing himself as king. He's saying out loud, I am the king, which means he will rule and he will reign his over his people. But we're introduced to this upside-down kingdom. What does the king do? The king willingly dies for his people. What does the average king do? Takes things from the people, taxes and whatever it takes, to build a castle for themselves, and then they rule with power using what he's taken from the people. Jesus, as a king, he represents and presents to us the upside-down kingdom. He does the opposite. He asks for nothing from us. He asks for nothing. And then he gives us everything and offers us everything in him through his own death. So we see what a real king looks like. A real king gives up everything for the sake of his people. He doesn't abuse and take from his people for the sake of himself. But he gives up everything for the sake of others. Matthew 25, 31 through 34, it says Jesus is the king over judgment. 1 Timothy 6, 14 and 15, he's called the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20, it says all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. There is no little bit of authority anywhere in the universe that doesn't land under the authority of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him. He is the king. Jesus brings the kingdom to earth, 
The heart of the good news about the kingdom is that God has taken the initiative to seek and save that which is lost. So, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. How does that impact us? What does it have to do with anything we're doing in the church today? This helps us have a paradigm or way of thinking for how we choose and pick the pastors and elders that lead us. If you look at the bottom of page 175, it talks about that. Elders and pastors are called to serve as shepherds under Jesus, who is the head shepherd of God's flock. But they're also called to pray on behalf of the people. They're called to speak God's word to the people, a prophetic role. And they're also called to lead and to shepherd God's people with compassion and conviction, which is a kingly role. So pastors and elders are called to live out and to play these roles of Jesus. They're called to take God's word and teach it to God's people. They're called to take the needs of God's people and present them to God, priestly. And they're called to shepherd and direct and to lead God's people with compassion, but with intentionality and with direction to help them follow in the footsteps of Jesus. So when you're thinking about who would be a pastor, is there somebody I know who would be a good pastor or a good elder or a good leader in the church? These are the standards that we need to look at to know if they would fill this role well and correctly. Are they designed by God to be a leader in God's church? Do they speak God's word? Can they teach it? Can they present it to people? Do they have compassion and empathy? Do they, do they love people well? And do they pray for people in their life? Do they lead people in a direction that causes them to become more godly? Is, do they follow in the footsteps of Jesus and then call others to do the same? Because that's what a kingly voice does. So Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Those who lead in God's church need to show those same qualities, that they lead under Jesus, but they show the desire to preach God's word, love God's people, and lead God's people. So Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Thank you for going on me, going, going, going with me on this journey, uh, working through Jesus the Messiah. So those are eight studies. The next one coming up is on, on the Holy Spirit. I look forward to seeing you then. Have a good one.